This is Raptors Shootaround. It's on to the finals. A TSN 1050 playoff special. Oh, baby, what a play. The Raptors and the NBA Finals live here. Yes, Kai. Well, here we go. Show number two, Raptors Shootaround. Jim Taddy with you until noon. And this is the day. When you wake up on a day like this, I wonder how you approached it. For me, driving in... I was thinking, well, you don't get to say much is new in this business when you've been around for 44 years, but I can look at it and go, this is a new experience. We're doing the show now, and then later on I go down to Scotiabank Arena and do the two-hour pregame, watch the game, halftime and postgame, and it's the NBA Finals, and I have to tell you, I've never done that before, so this is a pretty exciting day. But that's me. You have your own take. I'm wondering what kind of a day it is for the guy who created it all, the guy who had the idea, the guy who applied for the franchise, the guy who was the original owner. I wonder what he's thinking. Oh, he's on the line. John Bittoff is here. John, welcome. How are you today, sir? You know, Jim, I'm listening to your intro and I'm laughing because I was going to say to you, do you remember the 1994 World Championship of Basketball that you covered? Yes, absolutely. That's how how far we go back, and here we are today, another new one. Uh, Absolutely. And and so, I mean, when you look at this, this, uh, the growth of this team, knowing that that you sat in a room somewhere and talked to somebody or had had the thought as you were waking up or going to sleep to do all this, and I don't know how far back that goes. That must be at least 30 years. How do you feel about this? It's just awesome. It's awesome for the city and the country. You know, I, I was a basketball fan my whole life. Played in high school up at York Mills, and uh, you know, went to would go to when the Buffalo Braves would come to Toronto and play Maple Leaf Gardens. I'd be part of the three or four thousand people that were there that day. And then, you know, I was lucky. I went to Indiana University and saw basketball big time. And I was like, man, if this ever came to Toronto, we will eat it up. And, and so when you were forming the idea to do this, uh, I mean, th- there had to be some stutter steps along the way, some second guessing, but what was your mindset? You know, Jim, there's always stutter steps in everything, but I, I just knew it's a great sport, and I knew packaged right, done right, it would, it would you know, we're, we are a cosmopolitan city, and we would eat it up. And, and in a weird way, it's, it, it kind of helped in terms of just how much more Toronto became, you know, a, a bigger city because from day one, we always knew we had to market to, uh, uh, you know, kids and women and new Canadians and, uh, you know, because we, we let hockey, the hockey guys have hockey. Right. Um, this was always going after a new market, new segment, and, uh, you know, the city grew exponentially and, and we grew with it. I mean, really, it's, it, it's a marketing exercise, isn't it, when you, when you go through that approach? It really is. I mean, everything everything we did. I, I uh, you know, I was listening on one of the radio shows the other day when I was called. You know, Butch was Carter was finishing up, and he was talking about you know, and even after I left in their ad campaigns that they you know made sure that they had women, they made sure they had kids. So we always focused on our target market because because we knew what we you know we knew we had to grow the audience base, and we knew taking hockey on was not the way to do it. But it was to give everyone else something else. And you can look back on this now and, and think, wow, I mean, inclusive was always the way to go. It, it took the world a long time to get there, but, but you were there right from the start. Yeah, I think that's a benefit of growing up in this country, and, you know, especially in a city like Toronto. I went to a public high school. You know, we, we had every, every race in, in, and, uh, you know, religion on my football team or basketball team and that stuff. You know, we, we, we just all got along to get the job done. Uh, when you look back on it, I mean, what was, what was the, the biggest hurdle you had to clear? I think the biggest hurdle we had to clear was getting the financing for, uh, you know, the Scotiabank Arena, um, which was Air Canada Centre at the time. 
before the Leafs uh, ended up joining it. Um, it was risky. The, you know, the slates were involved, and after I got out, Alan went ahead, you know, kept going, charging ahead with the project, and he had to do when it was the right, and, and it was the right thing to do because we were the only original six city that didn't have a um, uh, uh, a new arena either on the books or, or, or completed at that point in time. So, you know, we, now everyone forgets about Maple Leaf Gardens, but back then nobody liked playing in it. Uh, when, when you look back on uh, uh, certainly the application, the one lesson that, that you were way ahead of the curve on was to actually ask how to go about applying by approaching the league. Now, there were people that tried to, I guess, bulldoze their way into the NHL where that never worked, but that was obviously the right thing to do. How did you come up with that? I, I look, I just, <laughs> you know, maybe it's the way my parents brought me up. It was, you got to show respect, you got to be humble. When you're trying to join a club of, you know, 25, 30 people, um, Trying to barge in the front door is, is never the right way. It's it's respecting the rules, um, working with them, gaining their confidence. I think that, you know, I was lucky, as we talked earlier, with the 94 World Championships. I had already had a working relationship with the league. The 94 World Championships, you know, were incredibly successful. Um, it was the first time, you know, pros were allowed to play in, in, in the event. but And it was just, you know, they, they knew that, if they gave us the franchise, we would do it differently. So everything from the name to the colors to the marketing, everything we did, we set the foundation. And I, you know, I owe a lot to Isaiah as well, and uh, you know, guys like Damon Sodomire and stuff. Because if you recall back then, Jim, it wasn't easy getting these guys to go on seven thirty, eight thirty in the morning to do radio uh, programming and stuff. Because you know they'd be going to bed at two, three in the morning after they ate after a game. And but they all they all sucked it up, and they knew they had to go out to the schools, go out to the businesses, go out to the community groups, and talk basketball. Uh, as we talk, talked with our mutual friend Tom Manick yesterday, I mean, obviously the you know the the Raptor design, the Raptor name was uh, was an absolute winner. And some of the ones that came in second and third were, were good enough for the league to poach later, right? Yeah, yeah. Well, Bobcats and Grizzlies were. It got taken up, but but the Raptor one was really unique. And when we put it in test groups and focus groups, I mean, people, it's always been one of the leading uh, licensed logos. I think we ended up uh, third in licensed merchandise sales in our expansion year, third or fourth, I can't remember. But, uh, you know, behind kind of Lakers and Magic with Shaq at the time uh, and the Bulls. But uh, uh, it really resonated. We wanted to create something that would, would be global and would be unique, and that's kind of why we went with the Dinosaur as well as, you know, no pro teams that uh, had – kind of embrace that heritage as well as dinosaurs that existed in Canada. So everything we did, you know, I'm proud of what the guys did having guys like Tom on board and, uh, and everyone else, you know, we, we approached everything different and that was part of what was fun. Um, I guess, you know, when you look at this situation now, I mean, how close are you to the Raptors? Did, did I see you in an Orlando game with a, a not a courtside seat, but close to it? Yeah, I was, I was there with my, uh, coincidentally, I was there with my son. We, we were, uh, Nearby, so we popped over to grab the game, and then I'm, I'm, then I was at one of the Philly games, and then I think I'm nine and zero so far in these playoffs. Jim, attending games. Are you going tonight? Of course. There we I'm go for the world. Oh, absolutely. I mean, that, I mean, you're going to have tears in your eyes, aren't you? Yeah, it, 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 it's it's maybe not tonight. If we win it, it'll be you know I don't know if you'll be able. To, you'll have to resuscitate me, um, <laughs> along with a I lot think, of others. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> it's just. You know, everyone's happy this week. Everyone's going to work. Everyone's, you know, we feel good about the city. We feel good about the country. And you and I know we lived at the 92-93 World Series. But to a lot of the kids and stuff, they haven't experienced something like this. And it's just, it's a joy really to watch. So when you sit there and watch this team now, I mean, it's, a, it, it's like a child that's all grown up. How do you feel? Just 
really proud. I'm, I'm, I mean, I, the, the current ownership group, you know, Bell, Rogers, Tannenbaum, they've, they've been very nice to me. Um, you know, I got a lot of staff. I hired the mascot from day one out of university. So, you know, he gives me the pregame hug and, you know, it's just, it's, it's, you're just really proud of watching this all happen. And, and quite frankly, you got to take your hat off to Masai because it's very hard to trade your, your marquee player in the belief that you've, you've got someone else who might fit better with what you have to do. And, you know, they've, they've, he's made all the right calls. Well, I, you know, I, I can't say enough about him. I mean, I, I think if, regardless of whatever team you support, if, if you have a, a front office that will draft properly and then understand that, that even though they drafted properly, you need to move some people out to, to get it to the next level and they actually do it, that's pretty rare, isn't it? Well, Jim, especially in this sport where usually everyone, you know, wants lottery picks. Yeah. And, you know, the stat I, I, I read is the first, first time in 50 years uh, a team's made it to the finals without a top 10 player. Uh, draft from the draft. I mean, I don't even know whether that's happened in hockey or baseball as, or football as well. I mean, it's just, it's remarkable what he's done. Yeah, but I mean, that's asset management, isn't it? Absolutely. Absolutely. And it's, you know, when it's doing your homework, it's it's uh, finding the right guys, finding the, you know, everyone's got a role, but also the right kind of leaders you want on the team, because you've been around sports, you know, more than I. If you don't have the right attitude in the locker room, it doesn't matter how good they are. You're not going to, you're not going to win the big ones. Absolutely. Uh, John, when you look back to the early days, what would bring a tear to your eye? What would bring a tear to my eye? Yeah, something that you had to put up with or, or get through or, or were really happy that you did. I think, Jim, it's just all of it. Yeah. I, I, you know, it's what I'm really enjoying now is my kids are part of this. They were so young back in the day. I had my two sons near me um you know when we when we won uh, uh last saturday and with my wife we just we just gave a hug and it was a very emotional moment because you know we all we all feel like this is part of the family even though it's not anymore um but it's uh you know living in the city and it, it, we are and and we're just we're big fans and i think it takes you know after i sold it took a while to become a fan again because you just focused on so many other things when you're at a game and you're part of the ownership but when you're there as a fan, it's just, it's, it's exciting. John, I want to thank you for going out of your way to appear with us today. And I also want to thank you for what you've given to the city of Toronto, not just with the Raptors, but other ventures as well. Thank you very much. Thanks, Jim. Best of luck. Have a great day. You too. Thank you. That's John Bittoff, the original owner, the original applicant for the Raptors franchise way back when. And so what does this day mean for him? Everything. I mean, this was the guy who had the vision. And for you, it's going to mean something else. And I like what he said about, you know, kids today. I had a guy who I taught uh, at Mohawk College uh, this last semester. And uh, he sent me a note last night saying how excited he was to actually have a team in his lifetime that would be at this level. He hasn't experienced that before, so he's born after the Blue Jays, and this is his first big moment. And and, and that's the great story here. But You know, you talk about the diversity of the city and, and the age uh, demographic chart, and, and it hits everybody. And anytime you can develop something or have an event that hits everybody everywhere, and this is not just a local story, this is a national story. I can't tell you how positive that is and what a great experience it is. You know, you worry about the, the game analysis later on, as we will in the pregame show tonight. But, but for now, uh, the big show is here. Game one is here. 
and the Raptors, uh, you know, 24 years later, and, and many years before that in, in the boardroom planning things out, it's all happening now, and, and it's an absolute thrill to be a part of, to cover. That's not that we're going to be on the bandwagon. We will be objective because we are journalists, but it is a, a fun event. There is some, some humor to it. There's some joy to it and, and something to look forward to, and that's not what you get on a daily basis most of the time. So we enjoy this, and, and we, uh, we certainly embrace the moment. Uh, I should tell you that tomorrow morning on First Up, you can win a pair of tickets to see the Raptors in Game 2 of the NBA Finals, courtesy TSN 1050. Landsberg and Koliakovo will announce a very important playoff keyword. You'll want to remember it when you're listening to Overdrive later that afternoon when Hayes gives you the cue to call. Be the first one through with the correct keyword, and you'll be headed to the game. All courtesy TSN 1050. That's first up tomorrow morning. Playoff keyword, then Overdrive in the afternoon. Uh, supply the keyword. Uh, be the first one through with the correct keyword when Hayes asks you to call, and you will be going to Game 2 of the NBA Finals. This is Raptor Shootaround, TSN 1050, tsn1050.ca, also available in the TSN and iHeartRadio apps. And so let's sort of set the table here, because this is game day, game one of the NBA Finals, live from Scotiabank Arena, and obviously extensive coverage all day long, but formally at 7 o'clock, Dwayne Watson will join me in our broadcast location at Scotiabank Arena for a two-hour pregame show. The tip is at 9 and uh, extensive post-game as well will follow our broadcast tonight. And I am told that, you know, here was the scene Saturday. So three hours before tip-off, you, you know the uh, the visual of uh, a line four deep that snakes around the entire building, goes up bay to front and across front to York and all the way down York and, and, and out to Bremner. And so that line started to form at, what, 6.30 this morning? So, uh, you know, I don't know where this thing goes. It's probably in Mississauga by now. I mean, it's... It, it's just it's phenomenal. But but having said that, uh, Arad's our producer. Having said that, Arad, I mean this this is the game you want to celebrate. It's game one of the NBA Finals for the first time ever here. It's a momentous occasion for the city and for the country. And again, as a fan, it's zero zero, right? Both yep. teams have the same chance mathematically to win. So of course you want to be there and you want to be there early because as we saw in Game Six, if you're not there early, you might be you know by the Rogers Center by the time well, the game starts. Who knows? You may have to take the GO train back in. I mean, it's, the line was extensive, and you know, there's plenty of spots to, if you don't get to where you want to go, to stop in and watch the game and enjoy the downtown scene. And I can tell you, after the game, uh, and we did the two-hour post-game, still a lot of uh, people milling around and a lot of police around as well, but everybody was really good-natured. And anytime you have a party and, and everybody's in a good mood, that's a good thing. Absolutely. And the phone lines were blowing up. People were ready to celebrate. Yeah, well, and get used to that, we hope. Absolutely. Should, should I talk about what we we went through in, in our prep area? We actually went down the road to what could happen at the end of this? No, I better not. I don't want to put that out in the universe. It might jinx it. Not yet, not but yet. But for the first time today, I actually started to think about, hey, I wonder what happens if. Then I'll just leave it there. I don't want to... I don't want to put it out because because if I put it out in the universe, like most people put it out in the universe, and the line is, if I put it out in the universe, it'll happen. If I put it out, if the tat man puts it out, it reverses. It goes, no guy. It's not going to happen. In fact, it's going to go the other way real fast. So that's why I don't like to put stuff out there. Uh, coming up on the broadcast uh, in our next segment, we will have... 
Sherman Hamilton, our TSN Raptors uh, analyst, uh, the Shermanator will be by. I don't know if anybody ever calls him that, but I'm going to try and do that. Tim Bontomps will be by at 11.15. He is the ESPN NBA writer, and here's what ESPN did. They had a pool of 21 people who put their predictions in for this NBA final series, and he was one of two who picked the Raptors. So this is the new mayor of Toronto. This is the, this is the mayor for a day of Toronto, Tim Bontomps. I mean, this... I want to I want to hear what he has to say. At 11:40, Leo Routens will stop by, as well. And uh, I wanted to go down a road. Oh, what John Bitoff said earlier about you know that that early sell for the uh, the uh, the people that were involved in the franchise and how they had to get up in the morning and, and do the media stuff way back when when it wasn't uh, something regular to do. Well, I can tell you, uh, going back a number of years when I had my half hour show on Global, uh, we didn't really like to record. A lot of guests. We didn't have a lot of guests, but when they did come in, I sort of insisted they do it live because I don't like to record stuff. It just doesn't have the same feel to it for me, and and I don't think it projects the same way. So uh, one night I phoned him up, and I said, John, could you come in and talk about the 94 World Basketball Championships? And he said, absolutely. And so that's the kind of guy he was and is. And so, you know, all these things that, you know, when you see how they turn out, you tend to sort of analyze the finish line but you might want to go back to the starting gate because, really, it's an attitude and a positive uh, setup that, that creates the eventual finish line. Uh, and if it's a winning finish line, you understand that that doesn't happen by accident, and neither does the losing finish line. It's the result of a lot of things, and it starts with somebody who's forthright and positive, and, and that sort of you know, it trickles down from the top. And that was certainly the Raptors story early on, and I think you could say it's the Raptors story now as they get set for their first ever appearance in an NBA final series, albeit against the Golden State Warriors. Now we have some sound from yesterday, and you're not going to miss Draymond Green tonight. You will, I mean, you you will know notice him right from the start. He's a physical presence, uh, he speaks a lot, and he uh, he plays with an edge. And yesterday he talked about uh, Kawhi Leonard dominating in his own unique way. I think the challenge with Kawhi is it doesn't look the same. Like, you know, when Steph dominated game, like Kevin dominated game, Damian Lillard dominated game. Uh, LeBron dominated the game. Like, it does not look the same as when Kawhi is dominating the game. But boy, is it effective. And so, where a lot of those guys that I just named are like natural God-given scorers, Kawhi isn't that. You know, Kawhi didn't come into this league as a scorer. Yet, he's one of the best scorers we have in the league now. And so, it just doesn't look the same, but the results are the same or better. Well, you love to have your best player and arguably the best player around as the guy who can dominate at both ends of the court. Uh, you know, I, I don't think we fully appreciated how good Kawhi Leonard is until we got into the playoffs, and, and that was the load management thing, and, and that was a bit of a distraction. And then there's the other distraction of does he stay or does he go, and I'm just going to file that one away. I want to enjoy the moment. Um, and, and when you watch him play, certainly the, the games that we did against Philadelphia, more so against the Bucks. Uh, because there were a lot of rally wins, a lot of slow starts, and a lot of fourth quarter uh, heroics. And, and it started a lot of it with uh, Kawhi either canning the shot that needed to be canned or starting the stop that needed to happen. And it all came from him. As I said yesterday in the broadcast, you look down on the court, and there's that moment where something has to happen, and he is the architect. He's either doing it himself or helping somebody else do it. 
And to have that guy is is a real treat. And I don't know that we understood. I, I don't think you can understand how important that is until you're in a playoff, you're facing elimination, or you're about to get backed into a corner, and that guy repeatedly steps up. That is a treat to watch. I mean, I don't care about money. Uh, you know, it doesn't really bother me what people make. I, I, it's not a concern for me. He's worth whatever he can get. And it's just an absolute treat to watch and to have on this franchise in this city. Uh, more from Draymond Green now, and he has a lot of respect for Kyle Lowry. I got mad respect for Kyle, a friend, first off. Uh, you know, we won a gold medal together. You know, and Kyle is a guy who got it out the mud. You know, he didn't, he wasn't always an all-star. He wasn't always a starter, you know, but he, he got it out the mud, and he, he's where he's at today. Uh, he's faced a lot of doubt. You know, he's been criticized a ton, but yet he's still standing, and he's here in this moment, and, you know, it's well-deserved. It certainly is, and I think if you do a, sort of a, a CSI on championship teams, uh, there's obviously top-end talent, and Kyle is that, but but I think you need somebody who represents the franchise, all that has happened at the uh, for the franchise, and certainly when you go back uh, over the last five to six years, Kyle Lowry would, would summarize by his play and by who he is everything that has happened, good and bad, to this franchise and you go back to, I always go back to game one against Orlando to start the playoffs, and there he was, uh, old Kyle, not really liking a call early in the game, and he got shut out. He didn't score a point in that game, and this was reminiscent of, of things that didn't work out, but he grew up real fast. And you watch him play now, and he gets fouled, or there's a call he doesn't like, there's a brief conversation, picks himself up, and away he goes. And that's the Kawhi effect on him. But, but it's great to see a guy who has struggled, has achieved greatness, but has struggled along the way, finally maturing and leading this team to the NBA championship. Uh, more sound from yesterday. Kyle Lowry, by the way, and, and he really appreciates what Kawhi does, and, and he actually sees a humorous side to Mr. Leonard. We're together a lot, you know, I mean, as a team, you know, we're always together. Me and him have developed a relationship off the floor. Um, he's a great guy. You know, he's just a regular guy. He's not this, he's not that. He's just a regular cool dude. He's a fun guy. <laughs> he's a fun guy. He is. Yeah, I mean, when we had Ka- uh, Kawhi on yesterday, I mean, the, the deadpan answers, but uh, respectful. There's not a, a shortness to him, but... Uh, he doesn't doesn't kill you with extra words, that's for sure. But he does tell you what's going on, and that that demeanor, that that um, I don't want to say quiet. It's it's a strong, strong demeanor, and, and it's confident. And you see it when he plays. And wow, that's had a nice ripple effect on this roster. Uh, Chris Bosh, by the way, is part of our TSN TV coverage. And just to go over all this again, you can listen to games one, three, and five right here on TSN 1050. You can watch games two, four, and six on the TV side. TSN. And uh, there'll be Tangerine Raptors playoffs on, on TSN, the NBA Finals. Chris Bosch is part of our uh, group, and uh, he sends a message to the Warriors coach, uh, Golden State coach Steve Kerr. The three-peat is a hard thing. Yeah. You didn't do it with Miami. Nope. You said Steve Kerr gave you a lecture on that a long time ago. Well, it wasn't a lecture. He said we weren't going to do it, so I'm going to tell him, you're not going to do it either, Steve. <laughs> So that's what the Warriors are up. They want to win three in a row. And, and really, when you look at the, this will be their fifth uh, NBA final uh, appearance in a row. And for them to win three in a row legitimizes, if you want to call it a dynasty, I would. Uh, and so if you win three in a row, you join a bunch of teams that have done that. And those are some pretty darn good basketball teams in NBA history. So that's what's at stake for them. Uh, you know, you could look at this uh, a couple of ways, and I don't think either one is accurate. You could look at Golden State with all that talent and go, ah, oh, they're going to breeze through this. Or you could say, you could flip that around and, and overcompensate and say, well, maybe they're due for a loss. Uh, you know, this stuff's irrelevant. This is... 
you know, periphery uh, thought process. But, you know, I, I was actually asked yesterday in a Winnipeg station, like, well, what are the matchups? Well, I want to see what the matchups are. I don't know exactly what they are. And they're not going to tell you that. And, and you're gonna, they're going to start a certain way, and then they're going to tweak them uh, based on what's happening. And I think Steve Kerr basically said that yesterday, that, uh, you know, we'll see what happens, and then we'll tweak it from there and, and, and make our adjustments. And, and that's really what this is all about. How many times have I said this, especially in the best four to seven playoff series, regardless of the sport? One team punches, the other team figures out how to counterpunch, and there you go. And that goes back and forth. The team that doesn't adjust to the counterpunch, and that would be Milwaukee in the last round, has a tough time. And if you go back over those last three wins by the Raptors over Milwaukee, they're, they're somewhat similar in that Milwaukee started out to do their stuff, and the Raptors hang, hung in there, much like Milwaukee did earlier in, in Game 1 of that series. The Raptors hung in there, figured out, uh, developed a counterpunch, and the Bucks couldn't deal with it, and, and there you go. And that's how you get into the NBA Final against Golden State. More sound now. Let's go with um, Steve Kerr talking about Kawhi. In terms of how Kawhi has grown, I don't know, he was finals MVP in 2014. So five years later, he's he's probably a little bit older and wiser. He's definitely older. I think he's wiser. I think he's seen more. But no matter how you slice it, he's been a superstar in this league, one of the top few players in the game for five, six years now. Absolutely, and we're enjoying that. And I guess you could look at, uh, you, you try to figure out what he's going to do when he makes his decision. And there's absolutely, I mean, this is a poker player. He won't tell you anything on that. Wants to uh, deal with the first business at hand, and, and why not? Let, let's win the NBA championship and, and deal with that first. Uh, but this is a guy who, you know, played in, with the Spurs, and so that's a, that's a highly structured system. And here you want to believe that uh, he has to enjoy the way he was treated, the way he was helped with his uh, injury, the, the load management stuff, the respect he was shown, uh, the uh, appreciation that's been shown to him. And I know it's all dollars and cents, but this has to be a pretty comfortable fit for him. I mean, I, I don't know, you know, what would draw him elsewhere. I, I think he's going to get as, as much as he can here. And I, I really liked what Messiah Jury said yesterday about, well, we have to be ourselves as well. And, and that means that you can only go so far with the with the offer, but I got to believe uh, they're not going to chintz out on this. This is going to be a pretty good offer. So we'll see what happens, and, and I don't know what tips it, but we'll be able to do that with retrospective analysis once this has been answered. Sherman Hamilton will join us next. The Shermanator talking about the NBA Finals, the Raptors and Golden State Warriors. This is Raptors Shoot Around TSN 1050, TSN1050.ca. I'm also available in the TSN and iHeartRadio apps. Shoot around TSN 1050, TSN1050.ca. Jim Taddy with you until noon, followed by Leafs Lunch with Andy Petrillo, followed by Game Day with Matt Cause, followed by Overdrive with the boys, followed by the pregame show, Dwayne Watson and myself live from Scotiabank Arena, followed by the game call, Paul Jones and Jack Armstrong, followed by the postgame. So an extensive day of Raptors coverage here on TSN 1050. And who better to help us out now? The voice of reason, Sherman Hamilton, is here from our broadcast crew. Sherm, how are you? I'm good, Jim. How you doing? Very good. This is an exciting day, isn't it? Oh, it's it's absolutely an exciting day, and uh, the buildup has been phenomenal. And and we've seen so much activity surrounding this this final series in the city and in this country. It, it's just been unbelievable to experience. And yesterday at media day, the droves of media that were <laughs> there is something that you only see on TV when you watch the final. So. It's real special and on so many levels, and the fact is our city and our country is going to get a lot of exposure due to this. Uh, it's just great, and, and you know, the luck of the draw, and they earned it. Uh, you know, the Raptors with the better record hosting game one. That is special, isn't it? No, it's, it's very special when you talk about 
having the chance to start a finals out on your home floor, that potentially gives you the upper hand. And I think it allows them to be a bit more calm. But overall, just to know that you have a better record, you've done the work in the regular season, and you now have the chance to host the former champs or the reigning champs, excuse me, for the finals championship, that, that just attests, that's just a testament to how hard you've worked and, and how good you've been consistently all season long. I mean, this is, I mean, it's a big game, no question about that, and we'll analyze what could happen shortly. But, but the moment, you know, when this game starts, uh, as you said, the NBA family is here. This is an NBA event, and so uh, in any NBA championship series, uh, you get to honor the past. And, and I don't know what the Raptors have planned, but, but I would suggest that we'll be introduced to some key players from the past, and there'll be some nice moments in-house tonight. And I'm really looking forward to that because, you know, the, 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 the line here is 24 years later, uh, you, you get to the big dance, and, you know, there's been a lot of uh, people that have contributed along the way. And I know Masai Jury pointed that out yesterday, but it'll be nice to see some familiar faces, won't it? Oh, 100%. And you think about it, Jim, it's going to be the who's who of basketball royalty when you talk about over the course of the finals, whether it be in Toronto or in Oakland at the arena there. So it's going to be one of those things where the exposure that Raptor fans and the Raptor public is going to get to seeing these people in our country, in our city, and and, and actually have a chance to connect with them potentially. You know, I, I think it's going to be huge. And, and for the NBA, this is a big, big moment. I mean, this is the first time the finals are being played outside of the U.S. And, and you talk about trying to figure out a template to expand the game globally. This will be a good little template for them to look at ways of doing it if they want to go to London, if they want to go to Spain, if they want to go somewhere else. How can they make it viable? And having the finals in Toronto is really giving them a taste of that, a kind of a, a early experience to see if it can really work on other levels. Yeah, I guess the, the, cynic, the cynical person would say, well, it's, it's a one-off, but no, this is just the start, isn't it? I believe so. I, and again, a lot of it hinges on the ability to keep Kawhi in Toronto. But if he does stay, there's no reason why people wouldn't expect that Toronto would be a perennial contender to go to the finals. So I just think that, to your point, if, if everything stays intact and the Raptors make a few moves to make themselves a bit stronger, there's no reason to not believe that this could be a team that could be battling for the finals every season. Okay, well, let's talk about the game. And I don't know what the matchups would be. You, you would be better clued into that. How do you see the matchups starting, and how do you see them being tweaked? It's going to be interesting because, you know, the question is, will DeMarcus Cousins be available for game one? Uh, will OG Ananobi for the Raptors be able to play in this series? There's just so many moving parts. Is Kevin Durant going to go come back during this series? But I think initially we're going to see Kawhi is going to have to deal with either Clay Thompson or Steph Curry at some point. Kyle Lowry is going to have to deal with, with probably Steph Curry. Uh, I think that the front court for the Raptors are going to have some issues in terms of when Golden State goes really, really small. Can you play a Marcus Gasol? Can you play a Serge Ibaka in those lineups? I think Pascal's value increases exponentially because of his versatility. And then your perimeter guys have to be very good. I mean, Danny Green is going to have to be very good. You might see Nick Nurse even go deeper into the roster to use some length uh, to see if a Patrick McCall might be able to help out with his length and understanding who Golden State was from playing with them. It's just the, the movement in this series is really going to be interesting to see how Nick Nurse really goes after it from the jump and then see what adjustments have to be made from there. Uh, the, the comment you made about Siakam is intriguing to me. How could he evolve in this series? Well, first of all, as you know, Jim, 
Pascal has been phenomenal. He's kind of just wowed us every step of the way throughout the regular season and the playoffs. I think in this series, it's going to be very vital for Pascal to, number one, be able to make his shots. If they're going to gap him and, and dare him to shoot the ball like we saw Philadelphia do, we saw Milwaukee do, he's going to have to make some shots. The other side of it is defensively, the Raptors like to switch. And if they switch, what Golden State has like to do is they like to get those guards being defended by big bodies. Well, Pascal still has the vertical, excuse me, the lateral quickness and the mobility to move his feet in front of those guys and contest shots. That was a distinct advantage for Golden State throughout their playoff run. They won't have that clear of an advantage when Pascal's out there because he can move his feet defensively. The other side of it is Pascal's probably going to be defended by Draymond Green, and Draymond Green is such an integral part of what Golden State does. He's going to have to attack that matchup. He's going to have to go after him, be physical, be aggressive, and force Draymond Green to defend him, potentially get him in, getting him into foul trouble. So I just think Pascal's ability in this series is really going to be emphasized, and he's going to have to play at a very high level. I mean, I don't think I'd be too off track to say that Draymond Green is, is a, a major concern, but you can get under his skin, can't you? Yeah, he's had those moments where his emotions get the best of him, and he's kind of taken himself out of situations. So there's no question if, if you're aggressive with him and, and maybe have a few words with him and, and get the officials to have a few whistles against him, you have a chance to kind of take Draymond Green out of the element of helping his team. Now, in the past he's done it. He says he's learned from it, but he's still an emotional player. So I just think attacking Draymond Green is a crucial thing to do because he's so valuable to what Golden State Warriors try to get done. It was interesting when you go back to the, the Sixers series and certainly the Bucks as, as how the Raptors evolved, uh, ran into some roadblocks, made a lot of adjustments, and they, they really paid off, especially against the Bucks. I mean, anytime you win four straight in a conference final, that, that's remarkable, especially when you're down 2-0. and how do, you, how do you see the Raptors evolving throughout the course of this series? Well, I think, number one, they, they're going to have to understand that Golden State is going to be a different animal than any of the teams they've played in the playoffs. I mean, they're an elite, elite shooting team, and, and they do it on, in so many ways, and they're a very good defensive team, which I don't think they get enough credit for. Uh, I think the adjustments for the Raptors are going to have to be very quick because I'll use the word spurtability of the Golden State Warriors at any moment. It's lethal. They can bring off 12, 15, 20-point runs in a heartbeat. So you have to be aware and have to be able to adjust in those moments. I think you have to be physical with Golden State. That's something that has to be consistent. And then you're going to have to be able to, while you want to run and you want to play with tempo, take the air out of the ball at times to prevent Golden State from being that team against you. So it's unlike any series they've played. I think that the adjustments are going to have to be more immediate against Golden State instead of waiting for a timeout or waiting for halftime or waiting for the next game to adjust. The in-game adjustments have to be very quick, and they have to be executed at a high level. Uh, my one concern, Sherm, I, I think you might agree, was in the, certainly in the Bucks series, a number of open looks that didn't drop. I don't think you can get away with that against the Warriors. Oh, you're correct, Jim. You've got to make shots against the Golden State Warriors. Now, the Raptors have been very good in the playoffs. They've been holding opponents to under 42% and under 100 points per game. But as I said, this Golden State Warrior team is very different. You can't get away with not shooting the ball well. So they're going to have to score the basketball. And to your point, the open shots need to be made because the contested ones are going to be that much more difficult with the pace of the game at times. So you've got to capitalize on those opportunities. And 
And Golden State is a team that if you're not able to put points on the board, you can't just think that you're just going to completely choke them out like you've done to Milwaukee and the Philadelphia 76ers, and Orlando for that matter. Well, and the other scary thing is, I mean, come on, the backcourt, the, the Warriors' backcourt, the flick of the wrist, and that's an automatic three. That That's tough to defend against, isn't it? Well, it is, and, and you think about it, without Kevin Durant, Clay Thompson is scoring about five more points per game, and that's just only in five games that Kevin Durant hasn't played. So you better believe in this series without Kevin Durant, those two guys, the volume of shots that they're going to take is going to go up even more. And as you said, especially with those two guys, it literally is the flick of a wrist and three points are on the board. And it's not just from the three-point line. It's from 10 feet behind the three-point line for that matter. So defending them is very difficult. You've got to be engaged and you've got to really match their energy and their intensity in terms of the relentlessness to get open. And whomever is defending them as primary defenders has to be committed to chasing, to being physical, to bodying them up off the screens. And making sure you don't get hung up because they will make you pay. As you said, an inch of space, that shot's up and in. Sure, isn't it remarkable that, uh, the, I mean, the three-point line has been around for a long time, and only with the success of the Warriors has this been a league-wide uh, sort of effect in terms of everybody developing that part of the game. Certainly the Raptors, I mean, you go back a number a, a couple of years ago, and, and they didn't have much of a three-point game. It is kind of interesting that it would take this long for everybody to buy into that. Well, it is and it isn't, Jim. When you think about it, this league is a league of trends, and, and, and it takes a while for a trend to catch on. And also, guys have to be able to shoot the basketball for everyone to buy in. And sure. because we've, saw, we've seen the most elite shooters on the same team as Steph Curry and Klay Thompson, it's hard to duplicate that because you go through a phase of guys who aren't great shooters that are taking shots that they shouldn't take, but that's the flow. That's kind of the evolution of the game. And then you get to the point where guys become better shooters and better shooters play on the same team, and all of a sudden now you see a more consistent volume of made three. So it takes a while for it to take to dig in, and teams have to build teams accordingly. But we just got a very, very quick look into two of probably the best shooters to ever play the game on the same team, and everybody thought, well, that's the way to do it. Well, hold on. You don't have two of the best shooters to ever play the game, so you probably have to take your time to build to that, and that's what we're seeing most teams do now. Uh, Sherm, just before we let you go, do you have a serious prediction? You know, it, it might sound weird and it might sound homerish to say, but I think the Raptors can get this. I think they can win this 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 championship, and and it will take six or seven games. But I I, I believe that they have a chance to win this, so I'm going to go with the Raptors in six or seven. Sherm, thanks very much. We'll see you tonight. All right, thanks a lot, Jim. That's Sherman Hamilton. Uh, at Sherman Hamilton is the Twitter account, and he is part of our broadcast crew. And so he came up with an O'Reilly guy. He said six or seven. That's definitely a really guy. I like that. And so, you know, there, there's that feeling. You know, there was, I think there was a lot of fear getting into the final from some people. And all of a sudden, people like Sherm can, uh, can say that it can happen maybe six or seven. Well, that's going to be absolutely intriguing. That three-point uh, thing, I go back to it time and time again because the last time I did the Raptors on a regular basis was three years ago. And, and it was Lou Williams. It was, well, there's Lou. There's the three. And that's all they had. Uh, but now you see people working on this. And uh, obviously, you know, when you have Thompson and, and Curry, and it is a flick of the wrist, you'll see it tonight. Uh, it's, it goes in so easy. It, it absolutely, it's stunning. And you go, wow. And, you know, that's what these guys do. And, and that's, that's a big part of the game. I mean, you knock down a three, and 
and you get a stop at the other end, and, and suddenly another three goes in. It's a six-point sway. That can happen really fast, and they can go on runs, and, and that will happen. So we'll be interested to see what, what happens. Uh, Tim Bontomps will be by from ESPN next. You're listening to Raptors Shoot Around on TSN 1050, tsn1050.ca, and the TSN and iHeartRadio apps.